Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Everybody have a Bible? Hey, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 6 today. We looked at that a little bit last week. We're going to go back and look at that today as well. I'm going to start there, but I will not stay there. But you can open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, I started a conversation about spiritual warfare, and I'm going to continue to talk to you about spiritual warfare, and I have a reason for that. I believe that the waters are real muddy when it comes to this topic. And I think it's really important that we understand what the Bible says, number one, but then we're postured properly so that we are on the right side, saying the right thing, praying the right thing, doing the right thing in the times in which we're living. I I believe this is an important topic. And I definitely won't be talking about spiritual warfare on Mother's Day next weekend because I want to speak to our mothers. But uh, maybe that's a good thing. Mothers are like, yes, <laughs> just elbowing everybody next to them. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's how you mothers would come postured for Mother's Day ready for war. I don't know. I don't know. Seems like that might be a little excitement in the room, a little too much there. Last week, I started with a message called Understanding Spiritual Warfare. Today, I want to talk to you out of Ephesians 6. My message is called Warring with the Word. Warring with the Word. Now, I'm not, I don't mean warring against the Word. I mean warring with the Word. The Word is our weapon. We want to war with the Word today. So let's uh, go ahead and pray as we open God's Word together. Father, we do thank you today for your presence, very evident as we gather We thank you that you are at work even when we can't see it, we don't feel it. We know by the word of God that you are at work in all of our lives. Lord, I thank you for our online family right now, those that are at home. I thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our homes. You're at work in our hearts. You're at work in our church. You are at work in our world. This is your world. And so today we come and we ask you that you would teach us about spiritual warfare far beyond what I'm going to say today. I pray that the word would speak into our hearts. And that, Lord, you would give us instruction and and encouragement, and you would help us, Father, to obey you and to live for you and you alone. So we give you you this time, and we ask the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, When we become Christians, something happens that I think is actually quite exciting. And it isn't everybody's experience, but I think it's pretty typical. It was for me. When I met Jesus, my whole life changed, and there was just this season of reprieve from the struggles that I once was dealing with, at least in a very um, dramatic way. I had a lot of issues as a non-Christian, a lot of struggles, lots of sin. I I didn't have like the secret sin. My sin was very apparent. My sin was very out in the open. There was no hiding my sin. So when I came to Jesus and he took away the major things that I was struggling with, not, I mean, I wasn't perfect, But there were big things in my way that I needed him to deal with, and he did. I came to Jesus, and he dealt with those things. And I felt for like six to eight months, I felt this season of like, gosh, I don't even have any temptations. 
It's sort of like when you get married, you know, you're married and you're just so in love with this person and there's no conflict in marriage for most of us and everything's like perfect. You know, they could do no wrong. You could do no wrong. Life is butterflies and rainbows, like whatever that means. And you just sort of feel this like, oh, this is amazing. You're amazing. I'm amazing. God is amazing. This is great. It's never going to change, you know. And what happens over time, similar to marriage and our relationship with God is very much the same or similar at least is that we start to have temptation we start to have conflict we start to recognize that the world is not perfect even if we've found a perfect savior and we've got to confront these areas of our heart that aren't fully saved yet they're not fully Jesus like yet pressure comes in our life difficulty, loss, pain, not to mention we wake up to the reality that we have an enemy. We have an enemy that's seeking to seduce us into a way of life, maybe our past for some of us that came from somewhere. We've got an enemy that's seeking to tempt us and prod us and push us and create sort of havoc in our lives. And we've got a flesh, a sinful nature that even desires to still do what is wrong. And we wake up at some point to the reality that we are in a war. And we, ha- we may not have realized that we were in a war, we didn't feel like it for a period of time, but now we realize we're at war with the world system, the ideologies of our day which are in conflict with Jesus' word as we read it. We realize that we're in a war with our flesh. There's a part of us that wants to do wrong and sin. We're at war with an enemy that's invisible that we cannot see, and we don't always know what exactly he's doing or the power that they have. But there's a point where we realize this, and I think sometimes we, and I didn't, I didn't know what I'm about to tell you today. I didn't know that for a long time. I didn't realize that there was something that God had given us that was so important, so valuable, And he gave it to us for a reason that in this war that we're in, he's called us to take his word as the the weapon that it is. The sword is what it's called in Ephesians 6. He's called us to take that. And as we come up against the issues of life, that that word is actually what saves us. That word is actually what delivers us. That word is what keeps us fixed and focused on God. Sometimes we just sort of forget this. We, we think that reading the Bible is this thing that Christians do, and you're a good Christian if you do it. And we think of it as like knowledge. We think of it as like sort of intellectual. I checked the box because I did my devotions. I, I, that's what I did. I read the Bible every day. I loved the Bible the minute I came to Christ. And as I walked with the Lord, I've always loved the Bible. But I sometimes have forgotten what the Bible was for. In fact, when I was a younger man, I would read the Bible and I would see how f- short I would fall of what it said. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but the Bible, sometimes when you don't feel like you're a great Christian, the Bible can be a very heavy reminder of what you're not rather than the invitation that God is giving to us to live a life that is far above and that we are growing into. Listen, I want to tell you today that the Bible is the greatest invitation of God in the midst of all that we face to be more in Christ. The Bible is not a book to make us feel less than. The Bible is not a book to make us feel like we're not doing something right. The Bible is not a standard that we'll never achieve. The Bible is God's invitation for those who are in Christ to become what we could not become except that we had the Holy Spirit to help us be what the Word of God says. The Word of God is what we need. 
and we have to war with the word until the word of God becomes our reality. You might say, Ben, I read the word and I don't see that coming to pass in my life. I read the word and, and I've prayed it, I've said it, I've prophesied it, I've memorized it, but that word has not come to pass in my life. And I would say to you today, not yet. Because that word was given for us to get caught up in the updraft of what God wants to do in the midst of a world that looks totally different from what God says is true. And so today, we've this strategy of warfare that I pray that God would impart to us, not intellectually, but in reality, this strategy of warfare is that he's called us to take up the word of God and war with it like it's a weapon. I remember um, this passage was very important to me when I started understanding this. First Timothy chapter one and verse 18, the apostle Paul talks to Timothy about warring with the word. He says, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies made concerning you, that by them, these prophecies, these words from God, not the word of God, but these words from God, that by them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. I want you to hear that. Some people have walked away from the faith. Some people started out in Christianity. Some people started following Jesus, but at some point along the path, their, their faith was shipwrecked and, and they walked away. They went astray. They made a conscious choice to walk away from the Lord. But he said to Timothy, not you. I want you to remember what was spoken over you. I want you to remember the words that were given to you. And it is those words that you need. It's like they are the weapon to fight against everything that comes in conflict with what God says about your life. You need those words. And I would tell you today that we need the word of God. And we're going to find that to be the case in Scripture. You say, Pastor Ben, I know this. But that, that does not mean that we're taking up the weapon that God has give, given to us. We look in Ephesians chapter 6, one thing is for sure, the Apostle Paul tells us that the word is our weapon. He makes it quite clear as he speaks to the Ephesian church. It says this in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Park right there. Schemes, that word schemes could mean blueprints. It, it means plans, Right? Sometimes we say God has a plan for your life. Well, guess what? The enemy, demonic spirits, seek your demise. There is a plan against your life from the enemy just as much as there is a plan for your life from God. And we have to realize we are in this conflict, this war that we are in the middle of. We have to recognize it. And Paul wanted the Ephesian church to understand this. And he says to him, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers, against the world forces of this darkness against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, invisible places, places that we cannot see, but we are interacting with, we're transacting with things, spiritual realities that we can't see. Therefore, he says, because that war exists, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, Put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish 
all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the flaming arrows of the evil one are coming at our lives on a consistent basis. That's the language that he's talking about. Friends, if you think you're not in a war, let me tell you today, you're in a war. Those arrows, you may not discern them, but they are coming at you on a regular basis. And he is telling the Ephesian church, there is a way to be protected There is a way to posture yourself. There is a way to live life so that those arrows don't penetrate and have power against you. The schemes of the devil don't take you out because the word of God causes you to stand. He continues in this last verse I want to focus on today. And the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Everybody say I have a weapon. Oh, yeah, you like that. Paul was a man who suffered greatly, and he understood spiritual warfare better than anyone, at least in that time. In this passage, we notice that he lists off all this protective armor. He was chained at this time. He was in prison in Rome, and we know that he's looking at Roman soldiers. So when he lists off all the armor that a Roman soldier would typically wear, he's right next to a Roman soldier all the time. He could see this. He was making these descriptive sort of theological points based on his living reality. But he was understanding something was even truer in the spirit. There's a spiritual reality that's affecting what I'm seeing, and he wanted the church to know that. So he talks about this protective armor, but this last verse, he says, and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. We have a sword. God has given us a weapon. The question is, are we using it, and are we using it the right way? Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that our weapons are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. He said they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And he defines what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a house made of thoughts. A stronghold is a teaching, a doctrine, a thinking, an ideology. I talked to you last week and I said it's ideological warfare. They had in those days, just like we do today, there was a way of the world. There was a thinking that existed in the world that was in contrast and in conflict to the ways of God. Today we have the same thing. This is why we need to know the word and it's why we need to have spiritual discernment. We've got to know the word so that we can discern who we are and how we are to live in the world around us. But Paul says that our weapons are not carnal in God. We cannot war in the flesh. That's not what this is about. But anything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, that is our enemy. Any idea, any thought that doesn't put God first Any thought, any perspective that raises itself up against God, that makes God look less, that makes God look like the weak one, that makes God look like he doesn't have an answer, he doesn't know the solution, any thought is an enemy to you and to me. And Paul says we have something that comes against that, and it is the word of God. I want to ask you a question today. Could you imagine going into a real physical war that you were a soldier of some kind? Maybe you can't even imagine that. But if you could imagine yourself going into a physical war without a weapon, I mean, could you think for a second that you're not going to die? 
If you go into a war and bullets are flying and bombs are going off and you're walking into that warfare and you literally have no weapon at all, the only thought that we could have is that at some point, we're probably gonna die unless we hide. So we've got a couple things that we have to do. Either we just go completely fearless and we walk into that warfare and we know game over is coming or we hide somewhere. And isn't that true sometimes for the Christian life? If we walk into the warfare of our world and we do not know that we have a sword that God has called us to take out and to use, then we are at some point, it's gonna be game over or we're gonna hide. And that is exactly what will happen spiritually speaking. So we have to know that victory comes not only in knowing the word like intellectually, but putting the word into practice understanding that this is the weapon that God has given us when things are in conflict or in contrast. We need to know it, we need to speak it, we need to pray it. And the second point I wanna make to you today is we need to stand on the word. We need to know the word is our weapon, but we need to stand on the word. And we see this from the very beginning. I started to talk with you last week about it. You may not remember, but I talked about what it means to stand on the word. You remember the Bible gives us great insight starting from the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord said in verse 15 to Adam and Eve, it says, The Lord God took the man and he put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He commanded him. This is fact. This is reality. There is nothing greater than this. God commanded the man. And he said, From any tree in the garden, you can eat. In other words, there's a promise. You can have all this. You can have anything in here. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day you eat from it, you will die. I, I want you to see the contrast here. God created Adam and, Adam and Eve, and he told them, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to have relations. I want you to have babies. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to ex experience family. I want you to explore the garden. And then he said, and I want you su to subdue the earth. I've put you here to cultivate it. I've put you here to subdue it. I've put you here to have authority over that. I want you to flourish in this place. And then he said, there's one thing you cannot have. Think about all the promises that God gave them, okay? It's just this whole room full of promises. But he gave them one command. Do not eat from this tree. And if you eat from this tree, the day you eat of it, you will die. In Genesis chapter three, it says the serpent comes and the serpent starts to deceive Eve. And the first thing that the serpent does in chapter three, verse one through seven, is he questions God's word. He said, did, did God say you can't really eat from this tree? And she said, yes, he said that, that the day I touch it or eat from it, some people make an issue out of the, the more she might have said there, I don't think it's relevant, but, but the fact is, is she repeated back, similar to what God had said in his command, yes, we can't touch it, we can't eat it, and the enemy says, did God really say? He starts to question and twist the word, that's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he starts to try to give a filter for how, how it is that we would see God. God's holding back on you. God's not telling you something. God doesn't wanna share everything with you. He's not good. God is not good. I want you to question the goodness of God. I want you to question the word of God. The enemy comes against the word of God. And friends, I want to tell you, nothing has changed. The Bible in John chapter 10 calls, 
calls this voice the stranger's voice. The longer that Eve listened to the voice of the enemy, the more tempted she became. These lies that began to come, it it massaged her mind. It it began to work in her heart. And it says that her eyes were opened and the fruit was delight to the eyes to make one wise. And she took and ate it and gave to her husband. The longer she listened to the lie, friend, this is what I'm trying to say. In the moment of the lie, she needed to take that sword out of the sheath and she needed to cut the head off the snake. You understand what I'm saying? See, there's, there's a time that you cannot listen to the lie. I'm not suggesting that we need to be mean. I'm not saying we're supposed to be rude. I'm not saying we're supposed to talk to people like that. What I'm saying is Paul gave us an understanding that there is something going on behind the scenes that you cannot see. And if you're not aware of it, you will not know how to use the word. We'll be thinking that we're supposed to just study We're supposed to just know what the Greek and the Hebrew means. And all of that, as important as it is, if it doesn't actually move into our life functionally, where we are cutting the head off of the snake, when the lies come to our mind and it starts to embed itself into our soul and we walk a little bit different than what the word says, if we're not using the word to stand on it and to chop the head off of that lie, then friend... It does not matter that we just simply know the word. The word is given to us as our weapon. The word is given to us to stand on. And that was the moment for Eve and for Adam to say, God told us, and I go no further. My heart is not for sale. I don't want what you're selling. I am not for sale. And this is something in our prayer life we have to pray over regularly. When the enemy comes to our life or speaks lies to us, friend, you just need to say, I'm not for sale. There is nothing you could give me that would get me off of where God says I'm to go. Nothing. I'm not for sale. No matter what the issue might be. They were tempted by the stranger's voice. And they just need to say, friend, I don't know. This is one of those things today. Not today, Satan. Come on, you like that? Funny story. You, 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 uh, I probably shouldn't talk about it, but I have the microphone, so. For some weird reason, I, uh, <laughs> I get into these seasons, I call them like the war mode. I know it's funny, and it just, I'm being transparent. you you like, why is he talking about this? Because this is who, literally who I am. But I get into these seasons where I go into the war mode, and I just sort of like, you ever had the season where you've had enough? Yeah. Like there are seasons where you sort of float into like good enough, I'm good enough. But then there are times where the Holy Spirit will rise up in your life and say, I've had enough. And he, he, he means that. I want you to, I've had enough. I'm not going to. I'm not going to just float through my Christian life. I'm going to be the Christian the Bible talks about. I've had enough. I'm going to stop living in the land of good enough because I've had enough. And I'm going to draw my life into the word. I'm going to draw my life into fasting and prayer. Pastor Ben, I'm going to show up at the prayer meeting. Amen. And I'm going to start contending around you funny people that yell and do all that. I'm go- I'm, yeah, I've had enough. We're going to start warring against the lies of the devil. We're going for God. We're going for God. So anyways, I get into those modes, you know, (laughs) and I just think strange thoughts like you do. Don't lie about yourself. All right. And so there was this one day I just decided, you know, I want to get a shirt that says, not today, Satan. I just, I don't know. I think I saw it on like Instagram, you know, that weird place that has uh, advertisements that I somehow makes it seem like they're listening to your conversation. It's like, does, this, does my phone listen to me preach? And then the next thing I know, there's an advertisement of a shirt that says not to, I bet you right now my iPad is recording me, you know, conspiracy theory. All right. But every now and again, I look on there and I'm like, literally, I just preached that. And the thing is listening. To, all right. Sorry. 
So I'm in the war mode right now. But I wanted a shirt that said, not today, Satan, because I thought, yeah, that's, that's what I got. And I want to, I wanna, when I mow my lawn, I want to, I want to wear that. I want to, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth, I want to wear that shirt, not today. So I order a shirt on Amazon because I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know, I didn't have like a buddy who made shirts and his, I didn't have that. So I ordered a shirt on Amazon and they put not today, Satan on the shirt and I got the shirt. <laughs> and first of all, the shirt looked like it was older than me. You know what I'm saying? It was like. Yeah, the moral of the story is don't go on Amazon and buy these shirts. But it, the shirt came, looked older than me for sure. And the other funny thing about it is it said, not today, Satan, but it was crooked. So the not today, Satan was printed on like the side of the, I don't know if that was a cool thing, but you couldn't read it really. And it was like off center. And so it looked like it said, not today, say, you know, it didn't look like it said Satan. And I think the Lord has a sense of humor, like he really didn't want the word Satan to appear on me. <laughs> I don't know what it was. And so I tried to wear that shirt on the lawn and it just, it did, like it didn't convey what I was trying to say, you understand. Weird story. My point is that there's times where we have to say, not today, Satan. We have to have an attitude, a, a posture, a perspective, a way of thinking. No, I am not going to submit and yield myself to these lies, to these temptations. And friend, can I tell you, even when you go through loss and difficulty and pain, that's all gonna happen to us. But that has a conveyor belt of its own to, to take us into a life that we didn't intend on living. See, we have one life on the earth to glorify God. And a lot of bad things, hard things are gonna happen to us, even when you come to Christ. And we have to make sure that we understand that the enemy will use all of those things in our life to drag us in to an isolated world where we are rendered ineffective in the name of Jesus. And we have to say to that, not to the grieving of the pain. I'm not saying that. We have to grieve in our pain. We have to walk through our difficulties together as the body of Christ. But we've got to rise up in the Lord and realize we've got but a few short years left. And how we use those years, we've got to give them to God. Friend, we have to give them to the Lord. In our pain, today we worship we stand in our pain. We don't avoid it. We worship in our pain and our difficult. No matter where you are, maybe you're in a season today that you need to endure. Maybe you're in a season today where you are in, you're living in the enjoyment or the enduring. I don't know, but every day is a day of grace and every day belongs to the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We can be glad in it because it belongs to God. That's the truth. There is a higher truth than our pain. There is a higher truth than our difficulties and it does not diminish and he does not put down what we walk through, but I'm saying there's something greater when we give our life to the Lord. It belongs to God. In Matthew chapter four, there's a similar situation to Adam and Eve. It just doesn't go the same way. Jesus faces the enemy, he gets baptized in the Jordan River. It says the Holy Spirit comes upon him and then he's led into the wilderness, verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, there's that voice, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and he said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is a quotation, I believe, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, which goes all the way back to Exodus 16, which is the story of the manna falling from heaven. When the Israelites didn't have food, God said, here's what I'm going to do. 
They didn't need food. They didn't need to just go ahead and plant and harvest. What they needed is the word of the living God. Because if God says, I'm gonna rain food from the heavens, I'm gonna bring it from a raven, then God can bring food to our lives. What Jesus was trying to say is, you can bring any temptation you want, but I know something you don't know. All I need is not bread, but I need what God the Father has to say. That's what he said. In this moment, he did what Adam and Eve did not do. He quoted the word. He said, it is written. I know what is true. I know what is truth. And the way that we have victory is the way of following Christ. He said, it is written. We need to say, it is written, which means we need to know the word. And we've got to employ the word as our weapon. Anything that comes against us, we realize that we have the solution. You may not know it right away, but you know where to go. See, I may not know how to face the thing in front of me, but I know where to go to get the answer to face the thing in front of me. The question is, am I going to go to the word? And the Lord's given that to us. And so we realize the word is our weapon. We also realize that we have to stand on the word. The third and final thing I want to share with you today, which is going to take me a minute, and I want to get through this. We, we advance with the word. The Bible is full of promises. Not only are we to use the word as a weapon when the lies come against us, that's one thing, but we also have to realize that we're called to not only stand our ground, but take ground in the name of the Lord. God has given us promises. There's thousands of promises in the Bible. There's at least a hundred that apply to every person in this room. Especially in times of opposition or difficulty, we must realize that our life is about something and we've got to move forward. The promise of God may not happen initially, but that's why we have the promise so that we can war through this life and see that word come to pass. See, in the Old Testament, God gave Abraham a promise. This is what we call the promised land. The promised land, the promise of that first came to a man named Abraham about his descendants. And it says in Genesis 15, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he said, to your descendants, I have given this land. Not, not to you. You're the one that's supposed to hold the word. You're the one that's supposed to walk with this word, this promise. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. And then he said, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Termite and the Perizzite and the, you always got to. The, Re, the Rephaim or, and the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Girgashite and the Jebusite. Everybody say Jebusite. God tells them in advance, there's this land that I'm giving to your descendants and I want you to understand something. You're to hold this word, you're to carry this promise, but there are the inhabitants of this land. There are people living in this land occupying this place. All of those God himself has to remove and Israel later, these descendants of Abraham, are to occupy this place. And God begins to tell him what's going to happen. As the story unfolds and Israel becomes a people that come from Abraham, we understand from the book of Exodus, they go into a time of slavery under Egyptian rule for 400 years. God sends a man named Moses and delivers them from their slavery in bondage to Egypt with a mighty, mighty hand. He leads them into the wilderness and for 40 years, they're in the wilderness, and God establishes his law during that time. He gives them 
an understanding of a new economy, a new society, which is Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that they're to take into this new land, this promised land. God gives them, he's equipping them with everything they're going to need in order to inhabit that land properly. But something interesting happens in the wilderness, although it takes maybe a month to walk from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, which is at the beginning of this promised land, uh, Canaan. Even though it only takes a month, they die in the wilderness. They're there for 40 years because it says in Hebrews chapter 4 that they did not mix faith with the promise. They didn't believe God. They grumbled against God at every turn. They did not believe him. And so God says to Moses, not only you, but this generation will not go into the promised land, but your kids certainly will. And it's very important for us to realize that the next generation would rise up. Abraham carries the promise, and now these descendants that die off in the wilderness, they're carrying the promise. They hear about this promised land. They're going through the wilderness with a promise from God to go into this land to fulfill what God originally had said to Abraham. They're carrying a word from their ancestors. And now there's a new generation that's about to go into this land And God is giving them a promise in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's sort of the final dissertation of Moses because he's not going with them. And he wants to tell them how to occupy that land. Very important. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it. And listen, he clears away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. Everybody say Jebusites. And listen to what he says, seven nations greater and stronger than you. I mean, this is just sort of a little caveat. I want you to know he's going to clear away all the other nations that are greater and stronger than you. In other words, you couldn't do this by yourself. If it were up to you, and it was at one point, you could not do this by yourself. But God will do this. These nations are bigger and they're stronger. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, you shall utterly destroy them. Do not make a covenant with them. Do not show them favor. They're occupying this promise and you need, to, you need to go into this land and do exactly as I tell you. Well, they do. They go into the land. And I think it's an interesting thing for God to give you a promise and then tell you you need to fight for it and tell you if you fight for this, you will have victory. And this is something that follows the scripture even in the New Testament, spiritually speaking. He says, I've promised this to you, but you need to go and fight for it. Do you know how many wars they had when they went into the promised land? Some scholars say almost 50. Let's just say it's 40. It's 35 to 50. Let's just say they had 40 wars in the promised land, 40. At some point, you gotta wonder, is this really a promise if I have to fight for it? See, the promise is that if you engage and you obey, if you mix the promise with faith and you engage this warfare, God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. They settled, though, with the Jebusites. See, it's like they, they worked with God in all of this warfare until they got weary, until they got to a point where they were going to go no further. And it says here in Joshua 15, Verse 63, Joshua was the leader that brought them into the land. Look what it says after God told them, do not make a covenant with any people in this land. It says, now as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the sons of Judah could not drive them out. They could not or they would not or they did not. Which one is true? They could not drive them out. So the Jebusites live with the sons of Judah in Jerusalem until this day. 
The Jebusites were a fierce mountainous people. They were occupying this land that today we call Jerusalem. Back then it was called Jebus. They were lodged into this mountainous city and they were a fierce people. And they were the strongest of all the other nations in that area. And it says about Israel that they could not remove them, but they actually would not. And I want to tell you later on, God raises up a king named Saul who does not work out. And so he says, I'm going to appoint a king after my own heart. This man's name is David. And David has a lot of sins. David has a lot of issues. Let's not talk about them today, but we certainly could. But it says that David is a man after God's own heart. Well, one of the reasons that David is a man after God's own heart is because David believed God. David believed God in the face of many of his ancestors who didn't or wouldn't. The first thing that David did when he became king, I want you to hear this, is he took up the old promise that this is ours. God said for us to do this, he said for us to go into this area, and he said for us to dislodge this. This mountainous region is ours, and the Jebusites mock them all the time. So they make a treaty with them. They do what God told them not to do. But look what David does after becoming king in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. It says, now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. One of the first things he did the inhabitants of the land. And, the, and this is what the Jebusites said to David because they've been saying it to Israel the whole time. You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will turn you away. David, we could send our children out to fight you. Just leave now. You've already lost. You've always lost. You can't have this region. This is ours. Leave. We're gonna send crippled people out here to fight you. It's ridiculous. Just go now. Nobody has been, ab been able to conquer us. And this is what it says, nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, which is called the city of David. You know why it's called the city of David? Because David took the promise of God and he said, I'm going to do what nobody else has done to this day. I'm not going to let the spirit of passivity or this apathy, no matter how long this generational curse has lasted in my people, I'm going to say no more. I will not live in the land of good enough. I will, I will live in a place of this is I, I, I've had enough, amen? Maybe today we're like David and there are promises of God that are over our lives and our family's life and I bring up this story to say one thing. God wants us to rise up and come against this spirit of passivity that allows us to be okay with a little bit of our closet sin, that allows us to think that we're being good Christians and nothing's wrong and this right here is fine and, and we're not pressing in and we're not asking of God for more and we're not allowing that invitation that God has for our life to pull us into the promises of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got promises over your life. You've got the promise of God over your family right now. There's a whole lot more at stake than often what this world is trying to coddle us into and sort of lull us to sleep like nothing matters. Friends, one of the concerns I've had over this season is that, and all due respect with COVID and all of that, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not here to tell you it doesn't matter. What I am trying to say is it's concerned me. And I, and I believe the body of Christ, us and every other church that believes God and his word, we've got to recognize that this is a moment for us to treat people's eternity the same way we're treating this virus. 
that we've got to recognize the same way we're trying to treat everyone with safety and we call this, this is the way you love your neighbor is, is you have to walk this way and believe this thing and say this thing and stand 100 feet apart. And I know that I'm sorry to say that, but if we just do this, then we're going to save everybody. Friends, if we do not preach the gospel, they're still going to hell. And I think the church has got to wake up at some point and realize that we can have all of this health safety and all of that, but what about the spiritual safety of people for the rest of their eternity? At some point, the church has got to wake up and say, we have treated this thing far more than we have treated things in the spirit. And God is telling us that we need to take up our sword. We need to recognize that there are promises and our children are at stake. And we're not to fight the way the world does. I'm not going out there on social media and going out there and trying to combat the ideologies of the world with my anger. That doesn't work. And sometimes people get frustrated and they think, well, that's the way it's going to happen. No, friends, it's not. That's why we have to pray. That's why we have to share the gospel. That's why we have to be generous. That's why we have to love people. That's why we have to build bridges and relationships with people. That's why Christians have to sacrifice their lives so that the eternal state and condition of other people is secure in Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what this is about. Otherwise, Lord, take us back up into heaven. Take us up into heaven. If we believe this word, if we believe this, the truth of what God says is true in the word, then we've, there are moments, catalytic moments, where the church wakes up. This is what we call revival. The church goes, ah, everything that I've believed and, and stood on, now it, it quickens in, in our hearts, and we recognize I haven't been laying hold of the promises of God in my life. I have settled with things in my land, in my territory. God says, I've called you to have this. I've called you to occupy. I've called you to have fullness, and we've settled in the land of good enough. That spirit of passivity is just lulling us to sleep. It just gets heavier and heavier and heavier before we can't bear it anymore. The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. And I think that's a very interesting way of saying that. You know you grow into weariness? It's not something that happens overnight. You don't become weary overnight, but you grow into weariness over a period of time. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap a harvest of righteousness. The people that see the breakthrough, the people that see the revival, the people that see the promises of God fulfilled are the people that don't give up. If there's anything I could say to you today, there's no giving up. There's no giving up. At least we're gonna stand ground and we're gonna believe God's word no matter what we see or experience today, no matter what's happening, we're gonna stand our ground. And the Lord's also saying, I've got promises over you and over your family. And I don't want those to go on the shelf for years and years and years. You say, what kind of promises? What about all of our family coming to Christ? Well, Ben, you don't know how bad my family is. You're right, but I can take a guess. I know how bad it gets. Well, Ben, you don't know. They don't listen to me anymore. Are you praying for them? You see what I'm saying? The, the, the enemy wants to lull us to sleep and where we, ca we carry this negative word over people rather than the promise of God. Well, Ben, you know, it's real hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's always gonna be hard, okay? It's gonna be hard. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way. We're, we're on the narrow way, okay? The narrow way, there's no shops on the narrow way. 
I had this picture this last week I was talking about. I told you a week ago, I said, I was reminded of Broadway. Broadway is a place that's got a lot of shops on Broadway. Got a lot of little boutique coffee shops. A lot of places to stop and spend some time, amen? A lot of shopping that we could do. I'm, not, I'm, I'm poking a little bit, sorry. Some of you are shoppers. Broadway's got all the shops, got all the places, got all the distraction. You could spend all day on Broadway. You wanna know the narrow way's like? The narrow way doesn't have a shop. The narrow way doesn't even have a restroom, amen? You just gotta stop where you gotta go. <laughs> the narrow way is a dirt path. You know what the narrow way is consumed with? The destination. We're on the narrow way. We're walking with Jesus. There's no distraction on the narrow way. There's nowhere to stop and have a little bit of coffee and have a little shop time. No, friends, we're engaged in where we're going. We're mindful of who we are, the journey that we're on, and what we need to be about. That's what the narrow way is all about. The narrow is the way that leads to life. Why? Because that is the place where we stay engaged in where we are going. And the only concern that we have is to bring people with us. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and the enemy is lying to people. Settle down. Man, Pastor Ben was really, he was going after it today. I don't know what I think about him, you know. That's the easy thing to do, criticize other people. Who wins there? No, I mean, really, who wins there? A critical spirit is one of the greatest enemies against us right now in the church. How do you think the Pharisees got the way that they were? A critical spirit. What is that energized by? You think that's energized by the Holy Spirit? Oh, he just gives me discernment. Friend, that is not discernment. Discernment teaches us between right and wrong, helps us to distinguish so that we can live right and righteously. A critical spirit, it, it, I mean, seriously, that is killing us. A judgmental attitude is killing us. It locks doors, it closes doors, it labels people. Uh, I'm conservative. One of the, one of the things, I, I mean, it's a 9 a.m. service. Usually I'm not this loose until 1130. <laughs> I'm closing right now. You wouldn't know it. If you can, Stephanie, if you can come and help me, you know. <laughs> Send the pianist up so he can, you know, know it's coming to a close, you know. I'm a conservative, and, and one of the things that concerns me about conservatives, okay, is Labels. I think it's so easy to go, the leftist. This is what we do. We call people by name so we don't have to go after them by the Holy Spirit. Friend, it happens all the time. This is why I don't agree with a lot of how people are moving today. My spirit grieves because we're not moving by the Holy Spirit. I'm conservative. I'm a moral conservative in my values, but there's a political spirit in the world that tells us, lies to us, if you just believe this and you just do that and you just, and then everything, what, everything's gonna go, everything's gonna be under the lordship of Jesus? Well, I'm not saying that. Well, what are you saying? It settles us down. Well, I voted this way and if this person's in office, then everything's gonna go great. No, it's not. Power corrupts unless it's in the hands of Christ. It corrupts pastors, churches, politicians, leaders. It it corrupts everybody. Say, Ben, are you saying voting doesn't matter? I'm not saying that. I'm just shocked today that people have put all their chips into one basket. It shocks me, and we label people. I'm concerned about ideologies, but I refuse to label people. I refuse to label because the minute I slap a label on somebody, I judge them, and I don't reach them. 
Friend, don't, aren't you glad that there are people in your life that didn't do that to you? Aren't you thankful that in your life, that when you were whatever you shouldn't have been, that there were people that could look past what they could have labeled you as, and they reached out to you? Aren't you glad that there was somebody that the Lord sent into your life at some point and said, I'm going to look past what I see in the natural, and by the Spirit, I see what God can do? Aren't you grateful for that? That's what Jesus means when he says, judge not lest you be judged. He's saying, do not put definitive labels over people because you know that I'm the God of the turnaround. Jesus did not say we're not to discern behavior. He did not say we're not to call out what is right and what is wrong. He's saying when we start putting labels on people, that's when we stop reaching them. So I will label ideologies, I will label false doctrines, I will clearly identify teaching that I will not follow and we will teach against it in our church. But if we are not even more after people that maybe call themselves this or live under this, if we're not gonna go after people, then we're not gonna end up doing what Jesus called us to do. And we're just gonna become a group of people, this sort of group think, think tank that the enemy is gonna send fuel to. And I'll tell you, if he can't push you one way, he will pull you the other. There's a type of martial arts, I, I don't remember if it's Aikido or what it is, but it's more about taking someone's energy when they come at you and you pull them so they come off their balance. That's what the enemy will do in this time of anger in the season that we're in. It's that a church feels like, I gotta rise up, but they don't rise up in the spirit. They rise up in the natural. And so they go after these things and the enemy goes perfect and he just pulls us down, uses that against us and we go into the other side of the ditch, the ditch and the other side of the road. The enemy's using all of this. Can you see it? Can you feel it? A lot of it don't look like Jesus to me. The division, the anger. Yes, we're concerned. Our spirit is provoked about the unrighteousness in our land. So why are we not desperate for God? That's my question. If it's so bad, then why are we not desperate for God? I'm not trying to throw guilt on you. I'm just telling you my concerns. I get up every day and I know I'm, I'm a pastor. What does that mean? I, I'm, I'm doing my best to just say what I believe is true and then live a right and righteous life and go after people with all my heart. But I'm not offended what people call themselves. I'm not offended what they say to me. I've had, and listen, I've had people say about everything you could say. But are we going after people? Because if we're not, somehow the enemy is lodging his way in and he's going he's gonna to try to win. And I say, I've had enough. I'm not going to live in the land of good enough. And I'm asking you to join me as we exodus our way out of the land of good enough with the perspective that I've had enough. And I'm going to reach people in the name of Jesus. That's what Northwest Church does. That's who we are. We reach people. The lost saved and disciples made. That's our focus. That's our focus. That's who we are. Father, we thank you today in Jesus' mighty name, and we ask you, Lord, that you would expose the work of the enemy in our midst, in our mind. I thank you, Lord, that you're leading us out of the land of good enough, and you're giving us a warrior mentality to say, I've had enough. And God, I pray even right now, Lord, that you would move powerfully in, in our midst and that we would become people of warfare, not warring the ways of this world, but warring in the spirit. Men and women of prayer, men and women of your promise, men and women of your word, that we would rise up with the word of God in this season like we've never, like we've never done before. 
The word is our weapon. We stand on it. We advance with it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Will you stand and let me share this with you? I'm sorry I took you over a few minutes. You maybe didn't even know I did. But, But I did. Your children know it. I'm going to share a prophetic word with you uh, as we're closing. Somebody, this is for somebody here, I believe you were in an accident and your body hasn't been the same since the accident. You've sought to be healed and maybe physical therapy and all that, but you have not received your full healing and your body isn't the same. But, But something even more so is your mind has been wrestling in such a way it has not been the same either. Your mind has not been the same. You feel like you wrestle in your mind just the same. And it's been very difficult for you. I hear the Lord saying to you today, God wants to minister to your mind. He wants to lift you out out of the thinking that's causing even greater pain than just the accident itself. So if that's you today, we have people that would love to pray with you. I'll pray in just a second. Somebody, you have a lot of pain in your feet. There's something wrong. I I don't know what it is, but I just saw a picture of your feet. There's a lot of pain and you haven't been able to overcome that. There's healing for you. In fact, Father, we thank you right now for whoever that is. If that's you in the room, you raise your hand. I don't know, something about your feet. You have great pain in your feet. Yeah, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name right now for healing. You're the great physician. So as we always pray from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet and all of that area, we ask that pain would leave. We thank you for healing to set in. Somebody else today, fear has gripped you this week. It's this week, and it's been unreasonable amount of anxiety, an unreasonable amount of anxiety. Now, we all sort of have things hit us at times, but this has sort of felt bigger than you. It just has continued to grow over the, it's been about a week, and we want to pray with you. The Lord wants to bring freedom. And finally, conflict, deep conflict in relationships. And I I prayed this this morning and I felt that for the 9 a.m. service, I don't share these at 1130 or at 5. This is just for somebody here or even watching today. You have great conflict in relationships and you can't seem to reconcile. It seems like you're in a season of conflict with people and and relationships are kind of in tension and you want to reconcile, but you haven't been able to. And I believe the Lord's going to lead you in wisdom and humility and teach you how to come out of those conflicts. And it might be different than the way you would typically move or what you would say. And so I just want to pray over you today, all of that. So Lord, we pray that you would banish the fear and the anxiety from our lives today. We thank you, Lord, that even just like cargo in a plane, you would just take it out. You just take it out of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you can do that. And its source, whatever the source might be, Lord, we ask that you would settle that with your peace, the shalom of God. We ask that your shalom, your peace would rest and would just unburden our soul today and cause us to know that we're safe and secure in you. We also pray, Lord, that the person that's having that conflict in relationships and maybe hasn't been able to get that turned around, we ask you, Lord, for wisdom and humility to enter in and settle into those areas and the mindset so we know what to do. Thank you. The Lord's saying you're going to know what to do. A word of wisdom to you now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, come and minister to us and through us, we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written. 